0: That song. Second Timothy chapter 3. A few years ago, I noticed as I opened my Bible to the book of 2 Timothy how worn it was, how used it was, and I realized how many times I preached from 2 Timothy. Of course, this is the last book written by the Apostle Paul. He's approaching the end of his ministry, and he gives a lot of helpful instruction. And perhaps that's the reason the preach out of it so often, and hear so many sermons from it. We're going to begin reading in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 1. This know also that in the last days... Now, I said we'll be preaching on the last days tonight. There are only six references of those exact words in that order. This is one of them. This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lover of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The object of this reference perilous times which were to occur, was evidently to show the necessity of using every precaution to preserve the purity of the church. It was, you might say, a warning. There are several things that Paul's warning about. And he said, these things are going to happen. This is what the world will look like. Now, I might add that it was something in that generation that they had to contend with the same thing we are contending with today, But he did look forward so that they knew, these are issues you're going to have to deal with. Everything's not going to be godly, righteous, holy. Uh, There's going to be a society that is a culture that's anti-God. So he's warning them and preparing them for what might happen. Now if you go back to 1 Timothy 4, there are other references that are similar to the last days. This one, it says, the latter times. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, And commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The idea of the last days really is the time we're living in now. But also, the early church was living in the last days. Is referring to a dispensation, a period of time. So when we ask the question, what are the last days... They are from the crucifixion of Christ till His second coming again. We are living in the last days. Some of the things that you'll read when you read about the last days refer to things that have already occurred or are ongoing or will occur during this era. But it will continually take place during these last days and some more than other times. As an example, the Reformation came about because of the Dark Ages and the oppression of uh, the laity. There, uh, it, it was a, an evil, evil time. The Holy Roman Empire and all the things that went along with that. Literally, you could go back from Nero up to this present age, and it's nothing new to face a culture that is anti-God. It's not just, oh, look at what's happening today. The Lord must be coming. I believe it's important to understand the reason this was given was not to set a date to say the Lord has to come back, but to live in such a way, if He does come, we're ready. And we need to heed the admonitions of, here's how we should be living in this present world, not following the culture of the day. So the last days, the Dispensation or the period of time that we live in now. The latter times uh, is referring to the same thing, but perhaps the latter part of the end times. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So it does not mean that this would occur just before the end of the world, but it would take place during this dispensation. And that the end of the world would not happen until this should take place. So the the thing he's reminding them of is the the Lord uh, is what we should be talking about. Our relationship should be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these last days, what we have to remember is that God has a plan and a purpose for us. He wants all men to be saved. He wants men to be a witness, to be a testimony to a lost world. He wants us to live a holy and a godly life so that if He came back during our lifetime or when He comes back, we would not be ashamed at His coming. So what is the last days? It is this dispensation which we live now, and we see all of these things. If we go back to our text, some of the descriptions sound like you're reading the, the news of the day. Verse 2, well, it says in verse 1 that in the last days there are perilous times. We really live in a unique time, not only in America, but Worldwide. Keep in mind that the Scripture particularly it pertains to Israel or the nation of Israel and in reference to them and where the early church began. But it spreads to all people. I mean, it affects everyone and certainly to the church. So it's describing certain traits or characteristics that will be present. It says men will be lovers of their own selves. You think that's true today? Certainly, we see that. It's rampant in culture, particularly in sports and Hollywood and media, the elites. Yes, we see that. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. to the gender issues of the day. Truce breakers, false accusers. You know, you think about that. It. Someone can accuse you of something, whether it's true or not, and ruin your life. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. All these statements are a description of basically the culture of our day and throughout much of the world, not all the world, but much of the world. I think that would be true. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1 it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, Or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now it would seem that's referring to that tribulation hour of the transition between this period, the latter days, and the tribulation time. But he said, don't be soon shaken in mind. Don't be troubled. When you read the news and listen to what's going on today, does it trouble you? Does it bother you? There are a lot of people it really bothers. There are a lot of people, they're worried about uh, food shortages. We're going to run out of food. If you run out of food, come to our house. We've been saving it up. So. <laughs> they're, they're worried about Is there going to be a nuclear war? What's going to happen with China? What's happening with Iran and North Korea? Is there going to be further trouble? Is the economy going to crash? Uh, You know, how high are the uh, energy costs going to be this year and utility rates? And we get troubled. We get worried about all those things. And I can understand how it would be alarmed. He said, no, don't be troubled. God hasn't changed from when energy was... Cheaper. He's not changed when there is no threat of war. He's the same God who's taken care of you up to this point. And we ought not to be troubled by those things. We may not like the way any of the elections go. Don't be troubled by that. God's still on the throne. We have to keep our eyes on Him. Now we see the evidence of the last days. Go back with me to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, and verse 16. The day of Pentecost has come, which was one of the major feasts of Israel, and it was a picture of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on that very day, the day of Pentecost, that feast day of the Jews. And Peter preaches Acts 2.16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaiden I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now that at least in part occurred on the day of Pentecost or it was like what will happen at the very least. All these things were evidence that God is coming to meet with his people and these things are going to take place. This was uh, evidence. He said it will come to pass. Now maybe some of that refers to the future but some of that took place at least at Pentecost. Well what are the, the things that we see that are going to happen. If we go back to our text, it says there will be a moral decay during this period of time. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. A moral decay. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. We see the evidence of all that today. That's the generation in which we live. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be shocked by that because he said in the last days in which we live, this is going to be evident. We ought not to be shocked. And when you see someone who is a sinner, sinning, you ought not to be shocked by that. One of our children went by the Hidden Valley Golf Course this morning. Somebody just told me this. And He saw all the cars that were lined up at the golf course. And they were a bit troubled. And I said, don't they know they're supposed to be in church? (laughs) I remember as a young child, we were on our way to church and there was a farmer out in the field. And my parents just shook their head and said, why would he do that on a Sunday? It's supposed to be the, the Lord's Day. There are things that people do because they're sinners. We ought not to be surprised. doesn't make it right doesn't mean we uh, support them in what they're doing, but that's the way people are. And when people do the wrong thing, we ought not to be surprised. We ought not to be shocked by it. There was a misplaced love. They're lovers of their own selves. Self-worship. Somebody said, a man wrapped in himself makes a small package. You know, we don't realize that we're nothing without him, and we try to think, "I'm somebody." Exactly. I had a neighbor that I was witnessing to to hopefully get saved. and he was a man's man. They had big family. he had been a farmer. Everybody was self-sufficient, and then he had a stroke. He was confined to a wheelchair. He was humbled by it. He had never been in that place before to realize his weakness. And I remember him saying as I visit him at home, but I visited him in the hospital once. And when I visit him in the hospital, he was upset. He said, I'm just a piece of junk. But it was a little late for him to recognize that. He should have done that a long time before. But people are lovers of themselves and worshiping themselves and thinking, I'm going to make myself look good and be popular. Uh, the, the song, I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I and mean, they don't think about that. I mean, I was listening to that song and thinking the words, and I thought, yeah, I would rather have the Lord than money. I'd rather have them than lands. I'd rather have them than fame. Uh, Having the Lord, you're rich. You're wealthy. If you have the Lord, you know why you're here, and you know where you're going and how you're going to get there. There is a moral decay because they had a misplaced love. Also, they had a misplaced focus. Their focus was on man, not on God. When you put your focus on man, it can be disappointing. People can disappoint you. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. They might make a commitment to you and not follow through with it. And we look at man and think, there's our Savior. If we just have a new president, if we just have a new governor, if we just have a new representative, if we have a new mayor, well, then everything will be better. Uh, but if you put your trust in man, you'll be disappointed. Right. We need to put our trust in the Lord. So their focus was misplaced. Not only was there moral decay, there was people decay. They had a form of godliness. They made themselves look spiritual. I mean, I cringe at it. it, it, I just can't believe it that now people are talking about morality who are wicked and vile. And they're saying how people that are good and godly are wicked. Truth is absolutely turned around backwards. That good has become bad and bad become good. And I think they have a of moral superiority because of their wickedness. And anybody that looks down on them, you know, shame on them. They're wicked people. There's a decay of people and there was a decay of truth. There were people leading people away from the truth. In verse six it says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins Led away with divers lusts. Ever learning and never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Somebody called them spiritual creeps. Creeping into houses. Leading people astray. And are people opposing the truth. In verse 8, uh, 2 Timothy 3.8 says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate Concerning the faith. So there are individuals that oppose the truth. They, they don't want to know the truth. They can't handle the truth. But we ought to be concerned about the truth. There is truth. Everything's not relative. There's right and wrong, black and white. And we ought to enhance the truth. If it's truth, then I don't care where it comes from. It's the truth. We ought to believe it. And we ought to follow it. In verses 3 and 4 it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. As a young preacher I remember working with one girl in particular that had been pretty wayward and rebellious. That uh, Part of the reason she came, she was really defying her parents to come to our church. But she came, she had made a profession of faith. But it got to the point where I had to tell her, you just can't come back. And I'll never forget, I thought, I can help anybody because ju- I've got the truth and they'll listen to the truth. And I had to come to the conclusion, there's some people you can't help. They're going to do what they want to do. You just can't help them. They're going to go that way. They're determined. They're going to do this. You can't help everybody. Some people will oppose the truth. Now, I don't know who those people are, and I'm not giving up on anybody, but there are those that oppose the truth, and they're irredeemable. You can't help them. So there are those people that oppose the truth. That's the evidence of the last days in which we live. So I ask the question, how do we respond to the day in which we live? Being in these last days. Well, we're given a warning. James 5.3. Join me there, James 5, 3. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Given a warning. We're living for the wrong things. We're, we're living the last days. We've got to realize there's a, there should be a, a goal, a purpose in our lives to live for the right things. We're not living for treasure and gold where moth and rust stuff corrupt. Men can steal. It only lasts so long. Your car wears out. Your house eventually dilapidates no matter how hard you strive to keep it updated. The roads deteriorate, especially in our state. There are, there are all these things that deteriorate. Now, if we live for those things, we're living for the wrong things. Right. So by living in these days, what should we do? We should live for the Lord Jesus Christ, live to serve Him, live to obey Him, to grow in grace. Second Peter 3 and verse 13. Well, let me start with verse 3. Why don't you turn there with me? I'm not sure I'll read all of it, but we'll read at least part of it. 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, <clears throat> all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, That by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. And the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish. If you go back to verse 6 it says. By whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. <clears throat> Do you know who that's referring to? It's referring to Noah. If you go to Matthew 24, I know we're turning to a lot of verses here, but it refers to the tribulation period and what it will be like in that tribulation period. In verse 36, it refers to the days of Noah. Matthew 24, 36. But if that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There's going to be a rapture of the church. The Bible talks about Christians will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. They're they're, there's going to be a day, just uh, without warning, the Lord comes back and Christians are gone. Right. And the Bible clearly teaches that. The dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be translated, caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We don't know when that's coming. It'll be the end of the last days, though. But then it begins what's called the tribulation period. And during that tribulation period, I remind you of something. The Christians are gone. There are going to be two witnesses, and there's going to be 144,000 uh, Jewish men, unmarried men, single men, that go around and preach the gospel. There will be people saved all over the world. But <clears throat> there are many that are going to be martyred and killed because you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. All that refers to the tribulation period, not the last days. So the day in that tribulation period, imagine all the salt of the earth is gone of Christian influence and the tragedy or whatever chaos develops because the Christians disappear. You just wonder, are they going to say aliens came? You know, I think we're being prepped for that one. There are people think there's aliens that, and all these strange things happen. They'll come up with an answer. And they're going to control everybody. Do you know they can actually... Control your thermostat, if you have one of the uh, thermostats that you can control through your phone, that they actually can control, they could say, we're going to make you save heat, you can't get your recognition below 78. I mean, the, the intrusion of the government is unbelievable. You, We saw with COVID how they can hold, stranglehold everybody that... I don't know if you saw the screams of people in China where they had guards outside. They wouldn't let them leave their house. In right. some cases, they had no food or anything. The, these are things the Bible's predicting are going to happen during that tribulation period. You read Revelation. Now, it's not the last days, but it comes after the last days. And so there's going to be a time just like the days of Noah. And you read about the days of Noah. There was no one saved but eight souls. Now there's going to be people evangelized during the tribulation period, but prior to that happening, all the church is gone. No salt of the earth. Imagine how wicked it will be. Imagine how vile it will be. When you go down to verse 7, it says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, and then we're in Second Peter again. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment, perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come, should come to repentance. So we're living these last days. What should our attitude be? We know the Lord is long-suffering, and you don't know who will respond to the gospel. You don't know. There are people that you think, that's the last person I believe it ever gets saved, and yet they're the one that gets saved. Why, the Lord is long-suffering. He's putting up with all this nonsense here on this earth, and he's allowing it to happen for a period of time. And he's waiting and waiting. Why is he waiting? He wants men to respond. He wants men to be saved. And that's where we come in. One of the things we should be doing in these last days is being a witness. Taking every advantage and opportunity to talk to someone about the Lord because He's long-suffering to them. Another thing that we notice about this day is it's going to come without warning. Verse 10. Back in 2 Peter 3. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there's a better day coming, but He gives us a warning. This is going to happen like a thief in the night. I don't know if anybody here ever saw, there was a film that was really popular for a period of time that churches showed. It was called A Thief in the Night. How many ever saw that film? And it was quite alarming. It kind of portrayed what will happen or... What might happen during that tribulation period? You just, you know, you, uh, a wife comes home and her husband is gone, or vice versa, and they think, Where are they? And they're looking for them, they can't find them. You, you know, the, now people don't know where they're going to get food, and just chaos. And you see the government coming in, to think it was Unite, they all got their badges on, and they're uh, controlling what people do, where they can go, and, you know, manipulating the news media. So, it's going to be sort of like that. We don't know exactly what, but it's going to come without warning. And we're shocked. I remember a preacher had been in, uh, it was an evangelist, and he had been preaching somewhere in Illinois. They have a lot of foundries up in the Chicago area. And when we first moved here, we lived in Plantsville on South Main Street, and there was a foundry in our backyard downtown. And you know what they made? They made universal joints. You know how they get the U in a universal joint? It's from a flat piece of iron and a machine comes down after the metal's heated up and it, pounded, bang. And starting at 7 o'clock in the morning, that factory started, bang, bang, bang. And that, that's kind of stuff that you find at a foundry. So this man was preaching a revival meeting there and they, uh, they told us... He, Learned the story where people had no problem sleeping. He couldn't sleep at all. People had problems, no problem sleeping because they got used to it. But one day, everything stopped. The, the, they had no power. And people woke up. Isn't that strange? And someday, when the rapture occurs, the world's going to wake up and wonder, the gospel's not going out anymore. What's going on? What happened? So, what should we be doing? We should be living for eternal treasure. Living for eternity. The last reference to the last days, James chapter 5 and verse 3. James 5 3. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. But Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six, verse 33, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. To A lot of people, that's a paradox. How do you gain anything by giving something away? You know, you, you give and you get back. You know, you can't outgive God. We, we hear all these phrases. But the truth is, when we live for eternal treasure, God provides for us and He meets our needs. Right. But if you live for the things of this world, you may have neither. I was thinking of the... Not necessarily that I gave anything up, but when I got saved, it changed my lifestyle, my interest, and... You know, everything is totally different. But one of my interests was basketball. And it didn't bother me. I just, I mean, it was was so important to me at the time, but when I got saved, it changed. And I come to Connecticut, and I never even thought about it. It didn't bother me. But then we started a Christian school in Wolcott, Faith Baptist Academy. And they were struggling along. I mean, it was not easy. Uh Brother is our good friend, who's been here probably more than any other speaker, started the school and ran a school and we supported him. And they didn't have a sports team and I said, you know what, I got some background, I'll help you. We'll start a basketball team and start a basketball team. And over the years, coached all of my children, even some of my grandchildren. And a thought occurred to me, I gave that to the Lord, I didn't care if I did it again, and yet God gave that back to me. I love to hunt and fish. You know, you can hunt uh, in Southington now with archery. And no one out of, out of the town can do that. And it, You know, there's an opportunity to, to do that and go fishing. Though I don't go very often, but, there, you know, you gave that back. You know, I thought, well, I'm never going to own a home. And God provided a home. And the mortgage paid off. I didn't know how we could do that. It seemed impossible. All I'm saying is, when you live for eternity, God provides for you. Yeah, right. I like the story. Doctor Brown gave up an ex- uh, a job, an engineering job for uh, General Motors, right? For General Motors to go in the ministry. Well, if you keep up with uh, the economy, you know General Motors had a lot of financial problems and laid a lot of people off. When he's never had a problem in the ministry. You know, God provides for you. If you seek Him first, that, the times in which we live, these last days, this last dispensation, this last era, our goal should be to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when the Lord's coming back again, but we do know it's important to live for Him. We know it's important to seek Him first. And when He becomes a priority, we're going to see God use us for His glory and we're going to see God provide for us whatever our needs might be. We ought not to be distracted. Don't be a date setter and think the Lord's got to come back today. He may not come in our lifetime. We don't know. The only thing we know for sure is we don't know. That's the only thing we know for sure. But what we also know is we better live for Him now. That's the purpose of these last days. To be a witness for Him.